Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you guys. If you are exiled over in the side section behind the stanchions, you're welcome to come in. I'm sorry about that. Um, Just messing. It's great to see you guys this morning. Um, I am Barrett, one of the pastors here, and it is truly a joy for me to be able to welcome you to worship. We are so grateful for your presence here. And um, if you're new this morning, especially, I just want to say we love you and we hope you feel at home here. Matthew, if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to get open to the Gospel of Matthew this morning. We're going to be studying chapter 11 and 12 in the Gospel of Matthew today. And if you think, my goodness, that's a big chunk, you are absolutely right. And um, it is our desire here as a church to walk through books of the Bible. And uh, there are times as we walk through books of the Bible that you might think, um, that is just too much for one sermon. And you're right. In fact, Matthew 11 and 12 is too much for 25 sermons. And... um, Therefore, I do not apologize today that we cannot cover it exhaustively, Um, but it is our heart to be able to walk through books of the Bible together um, in the years or life that you are here in Memphis and to begin to expose you to God's Word and also for you to understand that it's not just the preaching of God's Word, but it's also the study of God's Word in your personal time and our devotions that are available all week in Matthew 11 and 12 this next week that you can study in small groups and community that you can meet with and disciples that can help to train you in the Word of God. Um, plentiful resources abound. But this morning, uh, we are in our sermon time going to be hitting what I believe is the heart of this passage in Matthew chapter 11 and 12. And if you've got something to write notes with, I always encourage that you do. Uh, today's message is called Understanding Jesus, okay? The way of the Messiah. Understanding Jesus, the way of the Messiah. But I want to start by reading God's Word. I read from the English Standard Version. It is a healthy dose of Scripture. But I don't want you to just sit and wait for the sermon to start because this is the sermon, okay? This is the Word of God. So I pray that you know everything after this is just going to be pointing back to this. So if there's anything, the most important thing for you to listen to this morning um, as we go about our study is this passage from Matthew 11 and 12. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, 
I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But what shall I compare this generation It is like children sitting in the marketplaces calling to their classmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. In that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are... labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate of the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat for those those who were with him, but only for the priest." Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy 
and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into the pit on a Sabbath day, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored. Healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all. And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Well, then a demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him. So that the man spoke, and he saw. And all of the people were amazed, and they said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruits good, or make the tree bad and its fruits bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Well, then some of the Pharisees and the scribes answered him, saying, Teacher, we, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, 
An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, she will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. And then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers, they stood outside, and they were asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is God's word. Y'all ready? Matthew chapter 11 and 12. Understanding Jesus, the way of the Messiah. I would highly encourage you to take notes this morning. Um, and we're going to walk through this passage together in a brief amount of time, in case you're wondering. Um, it is okay. You'll be out at least in time for the Super Bowl tonight. So uh, second service, this is your joy. We get all afternoon together. <laughs> I'm just Some of you guys are not... Not in a laughing mood. It's okay. Um, we are at a turning point in the Gospel of Matthew, and I um, just would highly encourage you to recognize what a significant turning point this is. Um, Matthew has been very deliberate in how he has written to us to help us to know Jesus. He wants us to know that he is the Messiah. He is the true king. And he has come to restore the reign of God in your heart and your life again as you repent of your sin and you put all of your hope in him and surrender to him. Truly, he has come to restore you into right relationship with God. And Jesus has, I mean, Matthew has been presenting Jesus again and again in the early part of this book as the Messiah. And he's also begun to extend his rule and his reign. And we've seen that with great workings of power. And we've seen his popularity, his influence growing as his ministry begins. And he reaches out and he touches with great power and great grace to restore people, to forgive them of sin and to heal them of disease and to restore the broken. We've seen this. And we've seen that ministry extending as he's commissioned his disciples out. And they have gone to all of the towns and the villages and they're proclaiming Jesus and extending his ministry to all. But at this point in Matthew, we begin to see the tide turn a bit. And we begin to see the beginnings of some significant opposition to Jesus. And through this, we learn some significant things about Jesus and what he's come to do for those who really trust him. And uh, it's very interesting. This opposition will continue to grow until the time that literally Jesus is taken and put it on trial for crimes that he did not commit, condemned for things that he did not do, and he will die 
on a cross, a criminal's death, not because he deserved it, but because you and I did. He will suffer and die. The opposition begins, really, here in Matthew 11. We, we begin to see the tide turning, okay? Now, this morning, I want to focus our attention, okay? You, you might ask, why, why group all of this together? Um, I want to focus our attention there at the end of chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, if you've got your Bible. The end of chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And I want us to read this together, um, if it's possible. If you don't have the ESV, it might be helpful to read off the screen so we're not mumbling all over each other. Um, But I want us to read these words of Jesus together. They might be familiar to you if you've read the Bible before or if you've grown up in a Christian background or Christian home. These verses, I truly believe, are some of the most significant and some of the verses I treasure the most in all the Scripture. So let's read them together. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I would highly encourage you to memorize this verse if you have not done so before. It will be food, nourishment for your soul. But this morning, what I'd like to do is focus our attention, and in fact, our core truth today comes from these very verses. What I want to do is frame your understanding of Matthew 11 and 12 around this invitation that Jesus gives. What is that core invitation that he gives? This is our core truth for the day, if you've got a way to take notes. It's this. Jesus invites us to come to him, to exchange our yokes for his, and to find true spiritual rest for our souls. As we place our lives in his care by faith, he will fulfill all of our needs. I'll read it again as you continue to take notes so that you can not just be a hearer, but one who really receives and lives in light of God's word and seeks to disciple others in it. Jesus invites us to come to him, to exchange our yokes for his, and to find true spiritual rest for our souls. As we place our lives in his care by faith, he will fulfill all of our needs. There are four ways that I want to point out to you this morning that I believe that Jesus offers true rest if you will come to him. And this morning, all of these offers are open to you. And I pray that as we walk through the word, yes, we're going to hit it at a 30,000 foot level, but I do pray that God will speak to you because I truly believe that in every one of these areas, you need rest. Has anybody ever felt tired or burdened or discouraged, um, heavy laden. Yeah, I mean, I think it relates to all of us. But there are some specific ways as we study this passage and we hear Jesus's invitation that he is inviting you this morning to come, to come. And the question that I'm going to be asking you by the end of this message is, are you willing? The question is not, can Jesus give you rest? But the question is, will you come to him for it? So, there's four ways that I do believe that Jesus wants to give you rest, deep, 
true, eternal, spiritual rest for your soul. Jesus longs for you to be at rest. The first way is this, in your doubts and your discouragements. The first way that I believe that Jesus longs to give us rest is in our doubts and in our discouragements. This passage takes an interesting turn as we get out of Matthew 10. At the beginning of chapter 11, you guys see this in verse 1. It talks about after the commissioning of the 12, and they're going to extend the ministry of Jesus out among the whole region of Galilee. We have an interesting segment here. Verse 2, what does it say? Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Jesus, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This is fascinating. John the Baptist, most of us know John the Baptist, right? He's the one who announces the arrival of Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God, as people are being baptized, who takes away the sins of the world. He's here. John is out there proclaiming with a loud voice. People are like, what weirdo is this? He's out there, the guy with the bullhorn on Bill Street, saying, repent, the kingdom is coming. And people are like, what a weirdo. What is he talking about? But yet, he's attracting crowds because his, he's speaking, not as one of his own opinion, but he's speaking as one who is a true prophet of God. He's declaring that there's coming, there's coming. It's right here, the one who is to come to put us back to God. Let's get ready for him. Make straight the highways for him. This is John the Baptist, right? And as Jesus shows up, he makes it clear to us. This is him. It's him. It's Jesus. He is the Messiah. He's the one of whom our our hearts have been waiting for. He's the one to bring us back to God. Now, all of a sudden, verse 2, what do we read? Where is John? In the prison. In the prison. Now, why is he in prison? What we know is that he's in prison because he had the courage to stand up and speak the word of God against the immorality of Antipas, who had married Herodias, and it was a terrible marriage. It should never have happened. And John the Baptist stands up with courage to speak truth to power, and there's consequences for it. And he gets thrown in prison. But interestingly, something happens to John in prison. It is obvious by verse 2 that in the middle of prison, he is in one of the darkest times of his life. He is discouraged. And he is even in the midst of his darkness and his discouragement, he is facing some serious questions. His question ought to shock us, shouldn't it? Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Wait a second. John, this is John the Baptist. Haven't you been pointing everyone to Jesus? And now you are in the middle of a prison wondering, is he really the one? (laughs) It should shock us, except that for those of us who truly know and love the Lord, we probably have had similar seasons in our own life, haven't we? We probably have had times in our life when God doesn't always act the way that we expect him to act. You ever had a time like that? Or you feel like you're in the middle of a dark season or a discouraged season and you're going, seriously? Is this it? I I thought that I was like your forerunner, Jesus. I mean, I thought that I was being faithful to you, that that we were like a team in this. I'm supposed to be out there with you. And why am I in here? Anybody ever honest enough to admit that you've had a time where you're going, 
where you realize God didn't act in a way you expected him to act and it caused discouragement, even a feeling of darkness or even a feeling of doubt. I'm telling you, even people of great faith, and let me tell you this, especially people of great faith, will be tested in the midst of their faith and ministry in the kingdom. Our faith will be tested. And in the midst of this time of discouragement and darkness, John is crying out. He's crying out. What I love is that he's crying out with an honest desire to get an answer. He's wanting to believe. And he's saying, Jesus, will you help my unbelief? And what I love about Jesus, I just, y'all, I love Jesus. I've been through seasons of darkness and discouragement I'm telling you, if you love Jesus, it's not always going to be rosy. That's why Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there are valleys of the shadow of death, friends. And God knows in the valley, we need to know. What do we need to know? He invites us to come. Come to me. Do you hear Jesus' invitation? Yes, the words of Matthew 11, 28 to 30, you're printed in your Bible after this, but do you hear the heart of Jesus to John? Come to me, John. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As John sends forth his question, Jesus sends back an answer. Do you know Jesus can handle your questions? (laughs) He can handle your questions, and he will send help as you seek him. And his question comes, yes, in the form of correction in a way, but friends, it also comes in the form of grace. For John, Jesus doesn't send back a word. What does he send back? He doesn't send back a word condemning John for his discouragement or doubt. In fact, he stands up after this word and turns to the people and he says, do you know this man? This man is the promised forerunner, he says. This man is Elijah. He chides the people for not listening to this man. He says he's the greatest in history so far. He's not condemning John. In fact, he's, he's encouraging John publicly, talking about his faith and his character and his work in the kingdom, and yet this man has doubt and discouragement. And when this man is in that place, and when you are in that place, Jesus gives a gracious but helpful response. (laughs) If you come. And he says, verse 4, Go and tell John. Go and tell him what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. And the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And poor have good news preached to them and blesses the one who is not offended by me. In other words, what he's saying, friends, this is what Jesus does in our questions. He points us back to himself, and he says, Oh, John, remember who I am. Don't look so much at your circumstance. Look at my character, and look at me, John. Look at me. He's pointing John back to the prophet Isaiah, which John would have memorized, chapter 61, and he's saying, John, I am here. I fulfilled all of these prophecies. You know me, John. When you can't understand your ways, you can't understand my ways, you can trust my heart. John, I'm here. Friends, what a joy. 
What a joy in the middle of our doubts and our discouragements. Anybody there? You don't have to raise your hand, but are you there? Some of us are there. And it's okay to be there, but it's not okay to be there if you're not coming to Jesus. In the middle of your prison, when you, God is not working in the way that, he's, that you're expecting him to, go to Jesus. He said, come, come, send your question, and he'll send back a response, and he'll point you to his character, and he'll point you to his word. And I believe, even through the help of others, as people are going back to John as well, and the community of the people of God, God will and can strengthen you. He will give rest to your weary soul. Come to Jesus. Number two. Not only does Jesus offer true rest in the middle of your doubt and discouragement, but number two, Jesus offers true rest in our prideful attempts of self-sufficiency. Jesus can abolish your pride and your attempts of self-sufficiency if you will come to him for rest. What a joy. After the excerpt about John the Baptist, what we read is, starting in verse 20, very interestingly, that it says Jesus begins to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. So, I mean, what's, this is kind of strange. I mean, Jesus is spending a lot of time in these places that he names in Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. These are the places that Jesus was sent into. He's been in their midst working with miraculous power, with the power and grace of God. He's been touching people. We've studied this, right? Touching people, and they've become healed. Blind people can see, and demonically oppressed people have been freed, and disturbed people have had peace, and sinful people have been forgiven. I mean, he's been in the midst of these very areas working with amazing power and grace of God. And now, verse 20 says, he begins to denounce these very places. Woe to you! Woe to you! Warning and a word of coming condemnation. And you've got to ask, what? Why is he denouncing them? What does it say in verse 20? Be a student of your Bible. What does it say? Because they did what? Because they did not repent. You see, Jesus had never been doing the miracles to meet their physical needs alone. He had not been teaching about the kingdom to get their political support. He had been ministering among them, showing them God's great power and God's great grace because of one thing he wanted to rescue their souls. He wanted them to turn over the control of their life back to God. He wanted them to be done with their sinful, selfish, self-centered ways and to repent of that and to yield themselves completely to the person of God. Y'all know this, right? A lot of people like being a part of the church, like being a part of religion if it gives them what they want. McDonald's and Burger King mentality. If I get to order it up and you serve it to me quick and right, I'll keep coming back. A lot of people will follow Jesus because of his miracles, 
because of the food that he's handing out, because of the temporal needs that he's meeting, because of the comfort that they feel that he's bringing. But when it comes to repentance, wait a second. Ain't none of your business, Jesus. You start telling me that I'm wrong. You start telling me that I'm not my own authority. You start demanding on me that I need to change. Wait a second. You start calling me to lose my life so that I can find it to crucify myself so that I might live? Wait a second, Jesus. And yet, all along, that is why Jesus came. He didn't come so we could sit by and go, oh, isn't he cool? Isn't he cute? Doesn't he give good stuff? No, he came so that he could save our wretched souls and that he could restore the lordship of God in our lives. Do you know why he came? He came on a rescue mission for your heart. And what he's saying is, these regions in Galilee, oh, he's, he's trying to warn them. Don't you see? You've been given all this res- revelation, but knowing about me is not enough. Experiencing my good gifts, common grace in this world is not enough. Being around people who have repented and believe is not enough. For you, what about you? In your heart and in your life, you need to yield your own self to God. And woe to you if you've been around me and you know about me and you know others who know me, but you yourself hasn't repented. Woe to you. A warning. He's longing for us to be like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Oh, woe is me, a man of unclean lips, and I live amidst a people of unclean lips, knowing that we need a touch, a cleansing touch of God the only way the only way that we can be right with God is for him to touch the depth of our soul and for him to restore us to completely repent of our sin and to yield our hearts to him. Now, what's interesting is there's an opportunity to come. As soon as he gives the warning, all of us are like, <laughs> you know, whoa, dang, that's some harsh words, Jesus. And they are. But he follows the words. Look at verse 25. As soon as he offers this warning and he's condemning people because they haven't yet yielded their hearts, what does he say? At that time, Jesus declared, Oh, I thank you, God. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You are Lord. That you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and you've revealed them to what? Little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things you have handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone who the Son chooses to reveal him. What I love is that Jesus is saying, there is yet a window of opportunity for you if you would come. But you're not going to come. Don't think that the way to God is by you finding your way on your own, being all self-sufficient, independent like we like to do. Anybody here like to be self-sufficient, independent? Yeah. And we like to think, okay, okay, well, I'll just make myself right and I'll figure it out. And with our own wisdom and our own religious philosophies and systems, somehow we'll figure out a way to be right with God. No, no, no. It's not. That's not the way it works. See, the whole nature of repentance is it means that we despair of anything that we can do. And like little children, all we do is just say, oh God, would you please, 
Would you please give me something that I cannot give myself? You see? People in their wisdom cannot find God. It must come by revelation. You don't find your way to God by being smart, by thinking a lot. There's nothing wrong with thinking. There's nothing wrong with being smart. You're not going to find your way to God that way. No, the way to God, the way to please God, the only way to please God, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. (laughs) The only way to please God is to come like a child and just to have simple faith. But I want to tell you, friends, what a joy it is that Jesus gives us an invitation to rest. That if you would just come with simple faith, with humility and honesty, and say, oh, God, I know about you, but I don't know you. I've been around the things of you, but I've never experienced a relationship with you. Oh, God, would you restore my life? It is for this reason that Jesus came. And he is willing And he is able to give you rest. But rest doesn't come by any other way than repentance and faith. Keeping your heart from God will yield a life of utter exhaustion, lifelessness, joylessness. Once and then every day after, the way to true rest is like little children to say, I can't, but you can. To yield your heart to God in repentance and in faith. And for those who live in this way, Jesus offers true spiritual rest. Number three, not only does Jesus invite us to experience true rest in our discouragement and in our doubts, but secondly, in our prideful attempts of self-sufficiency. And I wonder today, who's ready? Who's ready to be done? Who's ready to be done and to yield themselves to God? Third, third, we see, not just in these two, but also Jesus gives true rest for our souls in our burdens of life. This is the heart of the passage, the verses that we read at the beginning. He is able to give true rest to our souls in our burdens of life. In verse 28, we read, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love this. I love these verses. What image Jesus has given us here is almost like, y'all ever had to go backpacking? I've never done this, so I'm just imagining, okay? Um, Typically, athletic illustrations, I I cannot speak to from personal experience, but I've seen others, and I've heard of others that do these things. So um, if you've ever been, (laughs) I'm just being honest with you, you've ever been backpacking, which I haven't, um, I've seen people do it, but you, you've seen people who literally look weighed down by something crazy, and by the end of it, they're just about to collapse, right? It's this image. Um, I used to live in Africa, and I, I would see women um, as we went from village to village. Many of these villages completely unreached today, and God might call you to reach them. I pray that he would. 
But women would carry these heavy loads upon their backs or even upon their heads and their back at the same time. And then they got a baby on the front and, and they're just walking down the street and they begin wait great, but you, I just feel for them, right? By the end of their journey, I'm just like, oh, I just wish I could go and help them and alleviate some of that burden. This is the image that Jesus is giving. He's saying, come to me, this, this invitation of true rest, all you who are weary and heavy laden, right? And what I love about his offer is what he's describing is all you who labor and are heavy laden. It's an active burden, and then there's a passive burden. It's saying, those of you who have taken on things to yourself, and you are so weighed down by them, but also those who have had things put on them. Maybe it's not a choice of you, but there's been something put upon you. So it's both active and passive, but for those who are weighted down, who are carrying such a heavy load, whether it's of their own choice or whether it's of the choices of others, and they literally are at a point where they know they cannot go forward. For those, come. He says, come. And what does he say? What is his promise? And I will give you rest. Not my teaching will give you rest. Not my miracles will give you rest. I will give you rest. It's a relationship with Jesus. Come to me and I, myself, in my person. I will, it's a promise, give you rest. It's the picture of Jesus coming alongside of us in the middle of our burden, whether it's our choice or others, and literally he comes alongside and he takes off all that we are carrying and he lifts it completely off and he puts it onto himself. And then he wraps us up in his arm and while carrying our burden, but also carrying us, we move forward. He completely lifts our burden. Come to me. And when you come, you will experience that which you're carrying. I will offload it completely. And I will give you rest. Praise God. One of the most amazing examples of Jesus calling people, calling you, calling me to believe in him. And what he's speaking to here is the rest. It's the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, if you're interested in studying about it later. What? Go and read it, like chapter 31, verse 5. This is the new covenant, okay? God says that when the Messiah comes, he will do this for his people. He will bring a time of refreshing. It's this picture of something new is happening. What once has been this life where we've just been so burdened down, so weighed down by, by so much that there's one who's going to come. He will forgive sin. He will relieve the burden of guilt. He will redeem. He will offer future guarantee of life with God. He will bring a time of refreshing, a newness of covenant that will be experienced in this very example. And he says, come. Now, interestingly, in verse 29 and 30, he says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. So it's not just a one-time coming. It's an everyday coming. It's a process. We learn from Jesus. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. He is a good master. 
Okay, if there's anybody that you want to come to and offload your burden to and take on what he's going to ask of you, it's Jesus because in his heart he is good, he is gentle and lowly, and he cares for you. And you will find rest for your souls, for he says, for my yoke is what? Easy, and my burden is light. Now, interestingly, in Israel, what you have to understand, the study and the observance of the law was referred to as the yoke of the law. So a yoke was a well-known figure of speech, all right? It's a well-known figure of speech for yielding to authority. That's what we're talking about when we talk about yoke. It's what authority are you yielded to? Now, everybody is yielded to an authority. Your authority might be yourself, but you are yielded to an authority. What authorities are you yielded to? What has the greatest influence over your heart and over your life? And what Jesus is saying is in his invitation, he is saying... I want you to come and I will give you rest, but there's an instruction. What does he say? Verse 29. Take my authority upon you and learn from me. So there's an exchange happening. He's offloading all of our burden, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our our weariness, and there's this time of refreshing that comes as he comes alongside and he's saying, but take my yoke upon you. Come up under my authority. I am gentle and lowly of heart. I am good. I will care for you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, but still there's a call for an exchange. You're taking on, you're coming up under. Does that make sense? His leadership in your life. And like any two ox that would be matched together, a lot of times a younger one who doesn't know anything and is weakling and trying to learn is matched with an older one. And of course, the older one's doing all the work, but the younger one is walking with him hand in hand. And it's the same picture. Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'm doing the work for you, but still your responsibility is to come up under me and to learn to live in relationship with me, walking with me, learning from me. And when you do, you're going to experience freedom. Freedom, and not just freedom, rest. Rest in your soul. Is anybody here burdened? This has not just happened at the beginning of our relationship with Jesus, but it happens daily in our lives. There are things, friends, in our lives with Jesus that cause us, things we take on or things others put on us, and, and truly, we find ourselves burdened, and we have to remember on a daily basis our responsibility is to, to remember the exchange that Jesus invites us to participate in. On a moment-by-moment basis, he invites us to come and find rest as we offload all of our burdens onto him. And we choose to come up under his authority and leadership. We will find Jesus. And only then, friends, will you really find Jesus giving you true spiritual rest for your soul. Don't you long for rest in the middle of burden? It doesn't mean there's not burden. It means that with Jesus' rest, that burden doesn't feel like a burden. It's light because Jesus is carrying it. Does that make sense? So that's third. So he offers rest in our doubts and our discouragements. He offers rest as we surrender, as we repent and believe. We get rid of our prideful self-sufficiency. He offers rest third in our, the burdens of our life. No matter how small, how big, Jesus can give you rest. And fourth, Finally, some of you have been waiting for that word. <clears throat> Don't laugh. It makes me feel bad. He offers rest in our failed religious rule keeping. 
He offers rest in our failed religious rule-keeping. All of chapter 12 is very interesting because what it exposes, and this theme is going to continue throughout all of the rest of Matthew pretty much, Jesus is at odds with religious people. And what you see in chapter 12 is Jesus having a lot of conflicts with this group of people called the scribes and the Pharisees. Think about them as religious leaders of the day. And they are at odds because over and over Jesus helps them to see they fundamentally misunderstood the heart of God and the desire for God's people. They are trying to make it all about what you do to be right with God. And Jesus is saying, you can't do anything to be right with God. It's never been about your religious performance, your religious deeds. It's always been about your heart. God doesn't want your good behavior. He wants your surrendered heart. That's why he gives the example about the tree and its fruits. How is it that good fruit comes from a tree? It needs to have good roots. See, if you understood that, then you would focus on not the branches, but the roots. If the roots are good, the fruit will be good. Good fruit comes from good roots, and bad fruit comes from bad roots. The most important thing, if you want fruit, is to attack the roots. It's about your heart. Jesus goes through some of these conflicts with the Pharisees, and I have no doubt this is part of why Matthew comes right out of his invitation to say, come to me, give me rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why is Jesus talking like that? Because he's talking in the middle of scribes and Pharisees, and their yoke is heavy, and their burden is not light. It is laborious. If you ever try to be right with God in terms of religious systems, I am telling you, friends, you will be exhausted. You will be heavy. You will feel constant burden because there's never enough rules to keep, regulations to follow, that can make you feel like you have done enough for God. It never, ever ends. It will be empty and lifeless and joyless, and it will create utter hypocrisy in your heart and utter emptiness in your life. Religion does not save, and religion does not satisfy. Rule-keeping does not save, and rule-keeping does not satisfy. Only Jesus saves, and only Jesus satisfies. And here these religious guys are as Jesus is out on the Sabbath allowing his disciples to eat. And they cannot even figure out that that's not breaking the heart of God. It's not even breaking the rules of God. And he gives many examples of David and the priests and others and the prophets. And he goes, are you kidding me? Do you not understand the heart of God? You're all frustrated about what's happening and not happening in the temple. Don't you know I am the temple? (laughs) As he's going out and healing a man, they're all frustrated that that God is healing on the Sabbath. Why? Because they have 695,000 rules about what it looks like to actually keep the Sabbath, rather than just remembering, oh wait, the heart of the Sabbath is just about rest in God. They've missed the forest for the trees. And that's why Jesus says, I want you to go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, this has never been about your rule keeping. This has always been about your heart and God's heart for your heart. Don't you understand? Aren't you tired of failing in all of your rule keeping? Aren't you tired of it not being enough? If you're tired 
of living in that way of life. See, there's no one righteous, no, not even one, and no one will be perfected by works of the law. It is not the way it works. The works of the law can show you that you're sinful, but they cannot clean your heart. There's only one who can clean your heart, and his name is Jesus. And he stands and he says, come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden of your failed attempts at religious rule keeping, come to me. And let me, let me show you true rest. Because what I can do is not just perfect your behavior. What you need is more than a perfect behavior. What you need is a perfect and clean heart. And when your roots are good, your fruit will be good. Let's deal with your heart. And when we do, you're going to find freedom. Because from your heart, your life will follow. And you will find fulfillment. Because rules, you were never made for a relationship with rules. <laughs> you were made for a relationship with a Savior, a rescuer, a redeemer, and a friend. And it is me, so come to me. We're done. And these four invitations, <laughs> I just ask you as we close, I'm really asking. I told you the question that I had for you at the end was not whether Jesus can do these things. It's not, can he give you rest? He can. The question for you is, are you coming? Doubts and discouragements. Maybe that's you today. Is it? You find yourself in a prison? Darkness, discouragement, doubts? The question is not, can Jesus give you rest in that place. The question is, will you send for him? Will you send for him? Will you let him give you his word and his comfort? In the middle of your attempts at self-sufficiency, how's that going? Not too well. And Jesus has given you a strong warning. Maybe you're here today. You've been around the things of Jesus. You know a lot about him. You've experienced other people. You've got relationships with other people. They know a lot about them. You've experienced some of the stuff of Jesus in your midst. But he's saying to you, be careful because that's not enough. What I want is your repentance and faith. I want your heart. And in the midst of his warning and his, of condemnation, he also gives an invitation to rest. Come to me. You can experience it if you come like a child. Relationship with me doesn't come through your wisdom. It comes through my revelation, and I can reveal it to those who ask with faith. Maybe you're burdened this morning. Maybe there's a particular situation going on, something that's really broken, and you're just, oh, you just feel so weighed down, and you just needed to hear today that reminder that Jesus desires to offload the burden onto himself if you're willing to come underneath his authority. Let him. Let him take your burden. And yield yourself to him. Come up under him and let him walk with you in life. On a daily basis, we've got to make that choice to keep coming to Jesus. And last, in this area of rule-keeping, friends, some of us have just slipped back into it perhaps, or maybe you've never come out of it, and you just need to hear today, you are never going to be freed and fulfilled by a system of rules. You weren't made for rules. You were made for Jesus. Yes, he desires righteousness in your life, but it's going to come as he changes the roots of the tree. And maybe today you just need to come and say, Jesus, change my heart. God, I thank you for this word, and I pray, Lord, for my friends who are here today that they would hear it and receive it. They would believe it and walk into it, Lord, that they would hear your invitation. It's not mine. God, it is yours. These are your words to come. I pray, Lord, that they would for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.